I mean, I imagine it's corporate or something. Welcome back to another episode of the Refactored Podcast, where it's our goal here to suck a little less every day. My name is Chris Tonkinson. And my name is Frank Cole. And this is episode number 47, recorded November 16th, 2021. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm good. It's, uh, we, <laughs> we need to set a, uh, just because this is sometimes the only time that we talk, <laughs> we need to set a date for when we put out new episodes, I think. So that it keeps both of us honest on when we each need to have our collective crap together because I slacked off on the recording this weekend and then there was your whole disaster, uh, you know, the, the week last before, two weeks. Like yes, it's, it's a mess. I yeah. mean, you, I mean, well, you, I was, I, I mean, to be clear here, I was a little late. You were just an unmitigated catastrophe. Egregiously. It was disgusting. Egregiously. I am embarrassed am for you. I'm embarrassed for you. This sounds... This sounds just like the conversation I had with my wife the other day. What's this? <laughs> you need to stop having those conversations. Man, I got to get my. Together. So anyway, I'm you know thinking I mean? like, I'm thinking like, I don't know, Tuesday or Wednesday every week. We, we just should just like, you know, Frank has his crap. No, we, 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 already, we already crap. talked about this, right? We, we got, did. We got the. We need to we, do it. Yeah. We already talked about this. Oh, okay. Yeah, we have the, we have the audio. <clears throat> what I think that the, what we discussed was getting the audio done by the end of the uh, week by Monday Sun- morning and then having yeah. the copy written by, you know, Tuesday showtime, basically. Mm. OK, uh, well, so that we I'm looking at the out. clock that way we can keep because we've got a historical like historical trend of publishing like, you know, Tuesday in the afternoon. Right. I'd like to keep that. Now, this week, this week, I'm a little behind with the copy. I think you sent me the audio uh, yesterday. Oh, he's a little and I haven't with gotten the, copy. the PR yeah, over. Yeah. Okay. So for 45 <laughs> weeks, everything was great. <laughs> Two weeks, we go off the rails. All of a sudden, it's all my I fault. I mean, it's all, all it's, my it's, fault. It's clearly, <laughs> I mean, that, I keep, that's really- How many episodes really, in a row do I have to say, we actually need to get a paid professional in here? <laughs> uh, Clean us up a little bit. Quite a few. Quite a few. All right. So I had Ridiculous. I have two I have two talking points that we can go through. I don't know what you've got. Um, oh gosh. Well, first oh, I gosh. wanted to first I wanted to uh, let me cap- steal myself. You're coming in with some kind of agenda. Over capper here. capper to to last week. We um, so I thought that was a really good conversation. One thing we didn't cover, and it's something that that you um, had raised, and I haven't actually dealt with. And so uh, I was actually mm-hmm. hoping you could give some more information. Um, you and I spoke before the show last week about uh, restricted stock units, RSUs. Mm-hmm. And so that is something that you're familiar with and I am not. And um, rather than ask you off air, hey, tell me about this or going and Googling, I thought I'd give you the opportunity. Why don't you tell me a little bit about I'm not, what an RSU is? It's That's going to be a really quick one. RSU, restricted stock unit. So it's a share of a company that comes with strings attached. There are restrictions. That's the R. Um, Such I'm as. not, I'm not the expert, uh, but I know one of the things would be a vesting schedule. So, so mm. I'm going to give you a thousand RSU over four years, which means you get 250 a year. And maybe that's breaking down by quarter or by month, uh, with some sort of a cliff as we discussed last week. That's one of the restrictions that gets placed on it. Simply a vesting schedule. Oh, so, so common shares so, are, so options. So, so the options that you would traditionally get when you join an organization those actually are like a class A stock. share or whatever. Those are restricted yeah. stock units by definition, then it sounds like. 
Well, the restriction is the vesting schedule. The restriction is is when they when they vest. Okay. So that um, is, and okay. there may also, in some cases, there may also be an employment contingency on it. I think typically, well, most, the most way, and again, I'm not the expert. Employment contingency, I would think. An option is not an RSU, though. So my my understanding is that options almost always depend on employment, mm-hmm. whereas shares almost always are yours once they vest. So I think the restriction is really not just the vesting schedule, but the fact that anything that isn't vested when your employment terms, you then lose. So it's like, and from an accounting standpoint, you don't actually own and it like, let's say I'm six months into a four year vesting schedule with a one year cliff at six months at nine, at, at 11 and a half months, I own nothing. Right. And if my employment terminates, I get nothing. Um, once they're vested though, I think most of the time, um, what is that? Is that reference? Somebody's trying to figure out how to say most of the, many of the times, most of the time. Oh, that was Kevin from the office. Okay, sorry, tangent. Um, yeah, tell me about it. that. Was most of the one. time the restriction? Well, any any office fans will know what I was talking about there. Um, at most of the time, I think the restriction is just that that just that vesting schedule because I believe that it's not common to have shares once vested contingent upon employment the way that options are almost okay so always. it's a, so so restricted stock units is a way of instead of so from what i'm hearing just to, to rephrase it the way you know options are an opportunity to buy whereas a restricted stock unit it's not the opportunity to buy it's actually the share itself so you actually mm-hmm. uh, you actually have the share the share it's skipping yep. the it's skipping the the strike price and all that stuff it's just saying here's a share it's just here a share go. and but mm-hmm. it's restricted in the sense that, well, you don't own it yet or you don't own it completely yes. until certain stipulations are met. That's the distinction right. that you're describing. Okay. Now, there may, again, I'm not an expert and there may be differences where like there are different classes of stock. I don't know if sometimes mm-hmm. RSU are different share classes than what's publicly available. Um, right. Because like then you get into like voting rights and there are other things, dividend entitlements, and that kind of stuff. I, like I'm not mm-hmm. an expert. I don't. Uh, you know, I'm cool. just some idiot with an internet connection and a good microphone. Well, you you so. you covered the um you covered the the initial ask because you know we had yeah. we had glossed over it in the conversation mm-hmm. and I I thought hmm well we spent a lot of time before. talking about contracts well, and we, we didn't did, spend a lot talking about actual shares right I mean we spent some time now we explained how shares work I think at a, at a base level but the, you know this particular type of 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 uh, arrangement I, I didn't want to say option because you know that, that i would overload the term it's a loaded term now <laughs> now it's a loaded term yeah all right but you i mean you answered the question it's, it it does the same kind of thing only instead of it being an option at the end of the at the end of the vesting it would be an actual share in a in a obviously publicly traded company typically i would imagine yeah and it's and essentially one of the other things when you when you have a uh, an option uh contract which is I made an analogy. I actually made a false. I have to correct. Last week, I said that an option is essentially the same as a, a long at the money call. That's not true because a, a like in true like equity derivatives, a call or a put contract is that's a hundred shares, whereas an option is one share. So I mm-hmm. I said that last week, and there was a there was a factor of the two order of magnitude correction that I need, which is just. It's just the two orders of magnitude. I was pretty close. Like that's Epic. not a big, Epic that's thing. not a huge, it's um, not huge or anything. So no. anyway, otherwise, you know, except for the fact that it's one share instead of a hundred, it would be the same as a, a long at the money call. Um, 
but I lost my train of thought there. Uh, that was the correction I had to make um, with with okay. options from from last week. Okay, I actually um, uh, in the uh, I, I I finished it up last night, so I'm sure you haven't heard it. But I actually put in one of our um, uh, one of my future Frank segments to correct uh, uh, correct us on some of our uh, ramblings because we were that was not the thing that I corrected. But I'm so I'm glad you did that. Um, yeah, there were so, a couple of things that we listening back. I we didn't. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, we're you know, but we're not. That's why this is financial this is, advice, right? <laughs> this isn't a finance show. You know, we're trying to. You know, yeah. these are the things that we've picked Your up whole as, point. as as tech experts, and these are the things that you know we deal with in you know in our field. From that, perspective. you wanted to give a layman's human explanation for stuff that anybody can go read about, but sometimes takes a person walking you through it before it really sinks in. It, exactly, to the, the and smooth a lot of or wrinkly brain cells. Exactly, and if you're coming I from our, good. yeah, and if you're coming from our background, you know, you're you're software engineer, sysadmin, that type of thing. This is this is something that you, depending on who you work for, this is something you might stumble across, but it's not something you necessarily go looking for, and. You know, in the in my case, the first time I stumbled across it, you know, I knew what it was, but I hadn't done my homework. And then the conversation, you know, during you know the the, the hiring process, the conversation just went there, and I and I immediately realized, oh crap, out of my depth. Yeah. And yeah, I can't be the only one that that has happened to. So, no. you know, in in again, sucking a little less each day. This is one thing that you as a as a technical professional uh, should have some basic cognizance about. And, and like, I I think I made the comment last week, finance, I'm coming more to the conclusion that it's, it's intentionally confusing because there are really, there are really like four or five core concepts you need to understand. And everything else is just Lego structures of those built in different shapes and colors and sizes. That's all it is, right? Mm -hmm. There's shares, there's contracts, there's debt and there's money Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there's time. Those are the things that you play with, you know, so derivative contracts and, you know, you get really advanced stuff. There's like variance swaps and all these kind of advanced techniques. It's just, it's just, it's just all, it's, it's more ways, creative. Ways to move time and money is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's ways to move yeah. time and money with the goal at the end of it of you having more money. That's really like what for, it all boils example, down to. They could say, they could say that this guy's account is very in debt. And everybody would understand what that means. You you owe somebody lots of money. No, but instead we say they're highly levered, the highly leveraged, right? Because mm, leverage just mm. means debt, except we have to come up with a new word for it because it's Wall Street. And, <laughs> and there's a bunch of crap like that that's just frustrating. I, I, I don't um, know. Are we in any, in, given what we do for a living, are we in any position to call out anyone for their own internal terminology? We're pretty bad about that, I think. Uh, I mean, we have a lot of it, but I yeah. feel like tech and medicine, there's just a lot of lingo just that by just, de- that is the case. So you think it's by, so you're saying in tech and medicine, it's by necessity by in finance, like how, it's by deliberate design to obfuscate is what you're suggesting. Like, like how would you, how, what are the layman's terms for implicit parametric polymorphism? Like that is the core that that is a foundational concept and that is the most correct name to call it it's not like we invented words for another thing we already have a simpler word for you know what i mean right. like the plus sign it's implicit parametric polymorphism what does that mean it means i can give it an int or a float and it does the thing that i want it to do like that's all 
but there's no word for that already. So we had to make one, you know. You know what my favorite one always was? Idempotent. Dongle? Idempotent was my favorite. Oh, I thought you were going to go for the cheap no, humor. Idempotent. No, you, yeah. no, I actually ask job. about my interviews. Maybe. I ask, like, are you familiar with idempotency and what does it mean? And what are the consequences of having a function that is, that's, that's an interview topic for it's me. A, it's a, sure. it's, it's like, honestly, I would have to refresh before I, before I answer, because I know what it is and I have written idempotent stuff and it just like spitting it out gets, okay, so, all right, you, you, you did it. So you, you know, well, I did it. I, I brought up the word and then you said you'd do it in an interview. So, mm-hmm. um, so what is idempotent? I'm going to totally butcher this on air. On the scrap. This is terrible. Um, okay, okay, so idempotency would be um, I run a thing and it produces a result. If I run the thing again, changing nothing, I just run the thing again, the result, it does not. Oh, man. See, this is I'm screwing it up. It does not duplicate the result. Like if the, if the thing is already done, it doesn't do it again. It doesn't duplicate the effort. It's just, I always get a consistent result. If it needs to do the thing, it does the thing. If it doesn't need to do the thing, it doesn't do the thing. Right. Another way to say that would be like, like a non-academic definition would be running the thing once may change the state of the universe. Running it more than once will not. Like after the first change. I would say yours is actually more change the universe again. Yeah, yours is right. actually so more like if, if your function has you're talking specifically about size, like a pure function, I, I don't know whether a pure function would be referred to as mm-hmm. idempotent or not because it doesn't have external state that it manipulates. But specifically, when I'd rather about side not effects, get into the OOP versus functional yeah. programming holy war because obviously those well that wasn't zealots. that wasn't OOP versus functional. I, but uh, anyway, we talking about point pure is, functions. I didn't know where you were headed. Point is like like rest. Rest is. Uh, like a like a delete or a put or a patch. Well, I guess a delete or a put or a patch should be idempotent. idempotent if I de- yeah. if I run you know slash user slash delete slash four twelve, and then I run it again, the net result will not be different after time three versus time two of running it versus time one. Right. Right. The difference is between before running it at all and then running it the first time. Right. And um, delete actions are generally pretty easy to make idempotent because. You know, all you have to do is, is the thing if gone? If the thing okay, ain't there, done. it still ain't right. there. Yeah. Where you get well, into it doesn't trouble. Actually, it doesn't actually refer, it doesn't actually refer to the mechanism, like the internal implementation mechanism that you're True. like checking if it already deleted and then, you know, fail fast. It's actually just referring to the end consequence to the state of the world. Right. Exactly. And, and so, yeah. I mean, delete in that sense, delete is fairly easy to make item potent because you have a very hard line of the thing is there or it's not there where I, well, the only requirement for making delete idempotent aside from like programming in a bug is, is the qualifier you are sending the method unique. Mm -hmm. If I say delete, delete where, you know, users where name equals Chris, well, that could have different results Mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. If I say delete user one, two, three, four, assuming auto increment, unique globally, unique IDs, whatever, then yes, that would be just automatically idempotent. Right. Where where idempotency gets a little trickier to implement is things like inserts and and updates. Where if I'm creating oh, a my record, favorite my favorite my favorite query term, upsert. Oh, upserts. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Upserts are great. That's it. That was what usually well, 
sometimes a design smell, I would say, but when when you want it, it's an I was awesome gonna say, function it's, to have. I, I don't know if it's necessarily a design smell. It's a really, like so many things, it's a really, really sharp tool because it's a common workflow. I want to insert a thing if it doesn't exist. If it does exist, I want to update it. That's a very common right. like, logical like, process that like you go you through a, in any application. So I can think of I can think of two primary cases where I see it a lot. Like if you're um, a web app and you have some some entity in your in your in your domain, you want to add labels to it. Okay, mm-hmm. upsert a new label, whether it's there or not, I don't care. Right. Just make it make Just sure make it, it exists. That upsert is actually item potent and in make that sure regard, it exists to only tie everything together to make sure it exists audience this was this discussion was planned we, we, totally, we planned it this way we're absolutely. that smooth um the other place i see it a lot is in etls for reporting so if you have to take records out of your OLT, oltp and shift them over to an etl database mm-hmm. um, a lot of times you use upsert to make sure that the most recent records exist in the offline database um you know, without disturbing anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, upserts are kind of cool, though. Oh, uh, upserts are cool. I don't know why cool. we're talking about this. So the original point that I had forgotten before to completely <laughs> unwind the stack on confuse everybody, um, one other difference that I had thought of when we were listening through the difference between stocks and options is taxes. Uh, so, well, yeah. If I'm an employee- I, I deliberately sidestepped that, all that for the record. Like, I didn't even want to touch I that because it's make, a mess. Okay, all right. I only ahead. wanted to make one single point, which is, if I'm an employee of a company and I have a buttload of options, vested or otherwise, that I don't believe it. This is not financial advice. My understanding as a personal individual is that having options vested does not have tax implication for me at the end of the year. In my experience, because you are correct. All I, I hold have vested is options. a contract. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All I have is a contract that gives me the right but not obligation to purchase an equity. That's it. That doesn't mm-hmm. have that's 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 not something that is taxable for me. However, the minute I get a share, an actual stock unit, restricted or otherwise, the minute the minute I vest a share, there are tax implications. One mm-hmm. way or the other, eventually. Either I hold on to it and maybe at some point I get a dividend, that's gonna be taxed. Or at some point, probably if you're an employee of a company and you believe in the company and you hold a bunch of shares because you're you know, you you like the company and you think the price is gonna go up. The only reason the company is going to give you shares is because they expect you to sell them. At some point when you sell them, you will be taxed on the difference between where you sold them and whatever your cost basis was, which is probably the the ticker price at the time the, the shares were originally issued or vested. I'm not exactly sure which, but the point is with a share, there's unless you lose money on them, I should say, if you if you sell them for a loss, but there's mm. still a tax implication, right? Because then that's a deduction. Mm. Um, there's once you have a share. You barely you're going to have tax implications one way or the other, whereas an option that's that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, um, I've ha- I have had shares vest previously and there was no tax implication for it. Um, I would have had to exercise them to to make that. You mean options? Make, uh, right. Damn it. I did it again. Um, <laughs> uh, I would have had to exercise them and I didn't. So there was mm-hmm. no tax implication. So, yeah. Um, and then right. depending on how you because you can I, th- I think you can sell options. That basically the math works out kind of the same, but usually what you'll have is some kind of a platform where you exercise your options and and you you can have a choice between either just buying the shares, which I don't think many people do, unless you're like unless you're already doing okay and you're pretty high in the company and you you really believe in the long term, you may exercise the option just to buy the shares. Um, but I think a lot of people most of the time 
exercising their options is equivalent to saying I executed the option to buy the shares and then immediately sold them on the open market and pocketed the difference. Um, technically, you have the right to just buy them, though, and, right. and keep them. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, options are, a, you know, it's a, it's a standard trading function. This is not yeah. exclusive to, you know, people applying for jobs and, you know, company giving stock. No, no, no. It's just a it's just a, a function. You can you can do it on any any trading platform. Like we talked a couple of weeks ago, I'm using TD Ameritrade. I can buy options in there on, you know, from publicly traded companies. It's entirely possible to do. So it's just a it's just a, a function, a process. And if you're the the other piece of not financial advice, I would say, and I don't know if we mentioned this last week, if you work for a publicly traded company, um, don't go as a retail investor on the open market through TD Ameritrade or eToro or Fidelity or whoever. Do not go and buy your company's shares on the open market. Yep. Uh, a, talk to HR or legal or finance or whoever it is and talk to your boss and figure out who you need to talk to to understand what the restrictions are because as a employee of a publicly traded company there are rules on buying and selling your own company stock second of all a lot of many public companies will have an employee stock purchase program that entitles you to buy stock directly through the company not on a lit exchange at some kind of a discount mm-hmm. so so you may be able to buy shares at now you think in your brain oh if i can buy shares at a five percent discount directly through my company then I can sell them on the open market for full price and I can just I could just buy and then sell a thousand shares a day all day long every day. Yeah, but you know, you have taxes to There's, account for. So you that doesn't actually work the way you think it will. So yeah, just yeah. calm down over all there. the loopholes that you think you have, people have already done and tried and you and don't. No, you, you don't they, have them. They, those they, loopholes are are burning rings of fire with a brick wall on the other go, side. Gover, government <laughs> is completely inefficient at everything except closing tax loopholes. It is exceedingly swift and effective at that. Isn't it yeah. funny how how you know the, the 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 performance and functionality follows the money? Isn't it weird how that works out? <laughs> yeah, there's life for you. Yeah, there's life. All right. For you. So the other that's that's enough finance. We've we've, we've I, I think we've talked stocks. Beat it to death. Beat it to death. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I had, so I, I, and I think I've mentioned this before that I, I have this, I had this idea for just a simple blog post. It was based on some research that I had done for a client. Um, it was based on some things I realized while doing work for a client. Let me specify. I'm not hijacking other stuff. Um, yeah, this is all my own original material. And I started to write a basic blog post about it. And every time I started writing it, you know, the juice, the, the writing juices get flowing and I would expand the idea to cover more concepts and it just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding <laughs> every time mm-hmm. I write it and I, and I slice it off. Okay, I'm going to do this little piece. And then it would, that piece would expand and expand and expand. So it's like, um, you know, have you seen the movie, uh, the movie, have you seen the TV show, the good place? I think you have, we talked about that. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So remember Chi-Gi's book, remember the book he wrote? It was basically every philosophy ever. Like when, when he was alive, was a, he wrote a book. Was and that he, a book or was that like his, his dis, thesis? It, it was his thesis, his dissertation, but it was it was his yeah. th- it was thicker than the Bible. The way that they presented, didn't they say thing. it was like fifteen hundred pages? It was fifteen hundred pages long, and they made jokes about how people would you know jump out windows after reading it and things like that. Like it was right. it was a good little, you know, it, it, it was a good little MacGuffin for the show. Um, but uh, that my my point is when he described writing it. He just he, like it just kept broadening and 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 going in all these different places, and that's sort of 
where I find myself because I, I sat down to try. OK, I'm going to get the first piece out this weekend. And then the damn thing split on me again, uh, like a stock <laughs> to sort of tie all this together. Except 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 yours is worthless. Oh, oh see, that's where I should have put it. That's where I should have put that. <laughs> I should have held it. I should have held it. Anyway, um, like a stock. We could just I'm not doing I'm not. Yeah, long. I'm not doing it again. I'm not doing it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so anyway, this thing keeps splitting up. And so in an effort to try and hone down the starting point of this, I have, I've come across a nugget in here that I wanted to, that I thought we could talk through and maybe I'll actually be able to write, I'll be able to get this written and out the door sometime this year. Um, and it's the end of November, it's middle of November. So I'm running out of time. Um, so I have I have this working theory. And so I wanted to know it's it's broken into three steps and it's basically A plus B equals C kind of. Um but each one is its own defined statement. So statement 1, do you de- agree or disagree all technical problems are business problems? Agree. Would you agree? Okay. All right. Uh I think so too. You know, because at the end of the day, all the technical stuff that you do is driven by business needs, business requirements. You know, you're, you're, you know, the tech is not the end in and of itself it is designed to serve something larger. So I can. And so I, I think I may be able to even preempt that and say that whether or not the technical problems are, you know, caused by, invoked by created by business needs you spending time on them is a business decision true right yeah so we could probably we could go at this a bunch of different ways that would ultimately end up with the fact that technical problems are downstream of business and if and if there is Mm -hmm. a tech problem that that problem flows very naturally in the opposite direction and causes business disruption so mm-hmm. business problems are technical problems. Okay. So that's statement number one. Statement number two, all business problems are people problems. So I would love for you to tell me how that's not true. I'm pretty sure no, at I, this point I'm tr- that I really want to disagree true. with you just because that's sort of my natural inclination. Right. But I think uh, all business problems are people problems. Yeah, I'm having a hard time disagreeing with that one. Right. So, I, and so- for the sake of everyone who may not be doing the same mental processing, uh, you know, for the sake of the of the exercise here, I thought, okay, well, where might that not be the case? Where might a business problem not actually come across, you know, as a as a people problem? Uh, product sales, you know, the thing isn't isn't selling, you know, seems very financial, seems very transactional. I don't understand how people fit into that. Well, you have a person deciding to buy or not to buy it. And why is that? What is it that they are, you know, what is the reason that that person is opting to buy or not buy that? And then on the other side of that equation, you have a person offering to sell a thing. What are they doing or not doing that is causing their product to be more or less uh, enticing to their prospective audience? Or are they talking to the right audience? You know, who, who did they identify the right people who are interested? Is there anyone in the room? Think about how many startups and, uh, you know, you, you and I have talked to talked to these folks before, you know, who just have 
you know, they have their idea and NDA and a dream to make, you know, jillions yeah. of dollars. And most times there's nobody in the room for these ideas. They think there's something there, but it's only because of their own personal, unique personal experience. This idea is worth billions. <laughs> right. So where are the billions? Uh, so when businesses are really just amalgamations of, of individuals, that's, that's all they are. It's just, it's just a collection of people doing a thing under a given umbrella. That's, that's all oh they God, are. You stole my catchphrase. I mean, it's, it's true. I say and this all the time. People are imperfect and companies are just globs of people glued together under a logo. That's it. So companies are imperfect. That's yep. unavoidable fact of reality. If you can't yeah. handle that, then uh, go buy an island. Well, oh, and wait, I you would, can't because you're working because you need the money. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, uh, so, I, I mean, I, I thought about that from the, you know, the sales side. I thought about it uh, legal side. It's too dispute. It's a dispute between individuals. I'm arguing. trying to think about law, finance, operations. I, like, there's nothing. There's IT, nothing that isn't essentially IT, people uh, problem. IT and security. You have a bad guy or gal who's trying to break in. Like, you have a person trying to do a thing on the other side of it. Yeah, there's some there's some fancy tech wizardry happening in the middle, but there's an individual on either side of that of that fence. You know, it's a um, it's it's still a you know, it's almost a it's it, it, it's just it's a contest it's a battle between you know one or more individuals or, or groups of people uh I, I i could not come up with a single one um which is you know it's kind of disappointing i was, I was actually kind of hoping you could challenge me on this but just for the sake of the i mean uh, the conversation for the show um i mean so, a, a company's in business to stay in business and that means profit so anything the company does is to some degree profits oriented because the individuals operating in the company, again, not being independently wealthy enough to buy their island and F off by themselves, mm-hmm. they, they, they're seeking that scarce money. And so, yeah, any, any, any challenge the business faces is essentially a people problem on one end or the other. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, I was, I thought about the, you know, you, you hear about, you know, the evil faceless corporation and I, I, there, there really, there is no such thing because there's an individual or more often than not a group of individuals that are driving it. And their goal there is to, is to make money. And so yeah. even that there's, I mean, what you have is a, um, you know, when, when you hear these stories about evil faceless corporations, it's, it's more about people who are prioritizing the the story always goes prioritizing profits over over people and and things like that but it's still a person or a group making a decision to do a thing and so well i think there's i by the way i love conspiracy theories mm-hmm. they are so much fun they, they are, are just fun. so much fun They're to tinker fun. with right do you have one um, are you thinking of one in particular no i'm not thinking oh. of one in particular but but what i mean to point out is that like as much as I love to just consider conspiracy theories, I don't think that there is some wherever there's a conspiracy theory, right? It goes back to uh, is it Hanlon's razor, right? Never attribute to malice what can be explained through incompetence. Competence, yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't think there are. I don't think there are grand conspiracies of faceless corporations and governments colluding with the express intent of suppressing 
the lower caste of society and keeping them in their poverty and ignorance and all of this kind of I don't I don't believe that to be the case. But what I do acknowledge, though, is like I have no problem with government. I have no problem with a church. I have no problem with a union. I have no problem with a company. I have no problem with a charity. I have no problem with yada, yada, yada. I almost inherently have a problem when any of those things get too big for their own good. Mm-hmm. Because what begins to happen is that, and and this, I'm not going to get into a whole like corporate personhood thing here because that's like mm, problematic. But when when those things, those structures, the churches and governments and unions and, and nonprofits and companies, when they get too big, they begin to exist for their own ends for their, rather for than yeah. their, their express mission. And so then- you have all these layers of bureaucracy. You have all these different internal parties and politics and all these inefficiencies and stupid things that happen for insane reasons. And the end result, I think, in some cases, which feeds the conspiracy theorists, the people that actually, you know, this is like red meat for them, the, the bread and butter, the um, what happens is that some of the things that the big churches and governments and unions and, and charities and companies do, especially across uh, at, in the aggregate look like what mm-hmm. you might expect to see if there were some dark room star chamber cabal colluding to suppress the lower caste and keep people. Yeah, what you actually like, so it looks like maybe there's like action directly like against me, but that's just kind of a consequence of this hyper inefficient system that's really too big for its own good in my opinion right i i think i mean you could break it down with a with a simple example you get large enough you end up with with bureaucracies with with groups that are in there to you know help keep the machine moving forward the individuals that are part of these 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 bureaucratic groups have those individuals have a self-preservation interest in their role and their and more broadly their team or department's role inside the company because that's how they make their money that's how they survive that is their source of sustenance and so they have how they feed their kids that's how they feed their kids so they have a they have a natural vested interest in making sure whatever they do stays on the board stays important stays relevant so that they keep getting paid and what ends up happening as organizations get bigger you you get the the individual um the interest in these individual pieces gets stretched further and further out so that the person or group who's at the top the ceo the ceo anyone in the c suite board of directors whatever they get as the organization gets bigger there's more and more layers they get more and more removed from pieces usually somewhere in the middle that yeah. are then operating semi-autonomously. They have their some oversight, but it's so distant and it's so removed that it that they're able to just persist themselves. And so well, because, I joke and they all have the authority time, to and do I, things, and so they act yeah, in their own and self-interest. I, I joke about this all the time, and I joke about it to my boss even, where I say, well, yeah, nobody knows what I do here. That's why I still have a job, right? But <laughs> Like you and I have both seen, you, yes, you and I both have seen both it. seen people actually do that. Like we, oh, yeah, you and I have both seen people hide in the bureaucracy doing exactly that, whether oh, yeah. expressly to try to, you know, just be lazy and get one over or accidentally because they've risen to a level of incompetence and they don't know any better. 
the end result is the same. They're only they're only in their position because nobody understands fully what it is they should be doing and how far they're missing that mark. Right. It's yeah. sad. It's sad. It's it's it, right. And so th- there's usually a you know there's usually the way these things happen is there ends up being a disconnect between that individual, that role, that department, and the higher levels of authority that are responsible for making sure the machine is running. They make an assumption that it is, but they don't have enough direct insight to see how effective that actually is or is not happening. And so these things end up operating in a semi-autonomous fashion. And because they now have decision-making authority, that that decision-making authority is oriented at their own survival. And so they end up doing things that and you it's know, look very tin it's, foil. It's inherent. It's it natural. Inherent, it's a human, natural it is, human action. It is, it's inherent and natural. It is an expected feature of our system that this happens when something gets big enough. Because what would be the most optimal organizational chart? If, we, if humans could scale, mm-hmm. if we didn't have limits to what we can handle in our own brains, what's the optimal org chart? CEO and then a long flat line of direct reports, 500 direct reports to the CEO. <laughs> that would be the most effective organization you've ever seen in your life. Trust me when I say that, right? CEO cannot scale that way. That's not feasible, Doesn't right? You're happen. limited from, I have heard numbers as small as three and as large as 20. Uh, My number's five, you, you have a, by the way. You have a finite limit. You have a finite limit of direct reports that you can actually wrap your arms around at any given point in time. What that means is that if your scale as an organization gets large enough, you wind up stratifying and stratifying again and stratifying again. And then, you know, what's the most efficient way to convert energy from one form to another? Directly is the answer. <laughs> Go directly from <laughs> one form to the other. But your organization, your your energy, I'm going to use energy and, and organizational efficiency as the analogy here. You wind up with a Rube Goldberg machine where at every at every transition down another layer or across another team, you're losing efficiency, you're losing energy. So by the time some well-intended edict by a CEO filters down to all the nooks and crannies of the org chart, you've lost a tremendous amount of efficiency and efficacy of that message and of the intent and of the the motivation for it um, because A, human interaction is lossy, and then you add in people that only have a job because nobody knows what they do or they're able to effectively hide in their mediocrity and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that's why that's why I say like I don't I don't have a problem with any of those organizations, but when they get too big, they are inherently dangerous right. um, to the system. But it turns out the system at least at least acts relatively efficiently with a few big things instead of lots of small things. So what do we do as humans? We're social creatures. We clump things together, and so you have this natural. There's like this natural thing where we we just make bigger and bigger things because it seems like a good idea in the short term and the long term impact is really, really negative. Right. There's a there's there's probably that, you know, there are practical limits to the to the size of these structures that you you have to before up to a point And then beyond that, you actually need to hand off completely. It gets stretched far enough that it breaks after it breaks. The the you know, the separating pieces have to have distinct autonomy and authority and responsibility for outcomes, and so then then these individual units sink or swim on their own. You see this in multi you know multinational conglomerates where they've got an entity in one country and an entity in another country, and they are responsible completely independently from each other. They share some umbrella, but 
that, you know, one is not beholden to the other. The results of one is not the results of the other. And they are viewed and evaluated and valued independently. And that's really what needs to happen. I don't want to go. Yeah, I don't want to go back to the stock market again. But GE the last week announced that it was splitting up into three corp, three separate corporations. It was like uh, medical, uh, aerospace and something. I forget what the three. I know one of them is medical. Um, but but GE even just did that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a and and so there's a there's a there's a natural threshold somewhere. I don't know what it is, but there's a natural threshold where the it just gets too big and it should be it should be separated out. And, and I've never I've never worked for like a large company. I've never worked for a, a 50, yeah, 100,000 person company. I've mega never worked corp. for a megacorp. Um, but I've worked for I've worked for like medium sized and and small companies. Mm-hmm. And at least in my opinion, that threshold is somewhere between very small and medium. It, like, I, I don't have to have worked at a large uh-huh. at a big company. I've seen um, enough I don't broken have to stuff have at the small level to know that the big level is right. going to be even messier. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I don't know if that threshold is 80 or if it's 300 or if it's 3000. Like, I don't know. But but I know it's far south of 120,000. I can tell you that much. <laughs> right, right. So, um, and a lot of, I mean, a lot of it depends on, on character, right? Who you're hiring and your corporate culture. I think, I think a good culture can scale a lot farther than a crappy one. You know, mm-hmm. inherently, if you just have bad leadership or if you have really great leadership, you know, I think that's a, that's definitely a, a big variable in the equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we could agree just like, just like number of direct reports. It's a, it's, it's, it's the exact same argument, right? The number of direct reports. You're a really good manager. You're a really great team member with a really good attitude and good aptitude for the work. You can probably handle more direct reports than somebody who's either worse or more junior. The same mm-hmm. thing for a company. I think you can scale farther with a really good leadership team in place and then not so far if it isn't. Right. But, it, but I think I think it's def, you're definitely talking like sub IBM scale of company. There's just before I mean, there, breakdown is inevitable. There's just a realistic limit to these things. And even IBM, I mean, if you really looked, I don't know anything about the in, inner workings of IBM, but I bet if you looked close enough, you would see that there's actually some pretty hard lines separating the individual yeah. units inside of IBM where, yeah, they all report up to IBM, but, you know, they're they're their own entirely divorced from they're, one they're, they're, Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're close relatives, and so they, you know, they can reach out and work together where, when and where it makes sense. But when they do so, they're doing it almost, they're working together, but there's still paperwork to the point where it's almost like a client, you know, client-vendor relationship between the yeah. individual entities. And there are companies mm-hmm. that do that. They'll, they'll issue purchase order. Part of the reason purchase orders exist is, you know, you can issue purchase orders to yourself, and it's just, it's it's play money almost it's just an accounting money it's an accounting thing and so you can just track where the funds are going even though it all may sit in on in one big uh you know one big collective pot financially i mean i did i mean my my company's my company's not that large and and my team is not that big but i even do this um one of my teams acts because we're at a scale where we actually have a technology team that is designed as a consultant to all of the others like we track which business unit we bill our time against. When we mm-hmm. work a ticket, we know we know what account account we use the word account. Like we know what mm-hmm. account it's it's attributed to, and then we conduct reviews and say, look, forty percent of our allocation was this business unit, and twenty percent was this business unit, and the bottom ten percent were these five business. Like that's the, what we do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and like I said, we're not all that big and we're already doing that. And we talk about the other technology teams as clients. Like that's our internal language for it because that because that's what we're doing. That's, that's what you're that's, doing. That's the size. That's where yeah. we're at in our in our growth. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I know a guy that I know a guy that worked. He retired from IBM after like thirty or forty years. I may I may ask him next time I see him about how how it works internally there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the feel is? Yeah. I mean, I imagine it's corporate or something like oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Unless there's a little weird, like alone in a crowd thing. I wonder if it gets. I wonder if it gets big enough at some point where it really just feels like a bunch of individual small little companies. Because you don't know anybody in finance, you don't know anybody in legal, you don't know anybody in operations. You, like mm-hmm. you know your group, and then the people you you rub shoulders with, and everybody else is just a stranger. Like mm-hmm. I wonder if it if at at a certain point it starts to feel like a small company again because your director, regional VP, whoever it is, kind of has that level of autonomy mm-hmm. to to run things, which is great if he's. <laughs> If he or she is a good boss. Right. Sucks for you if they're a jerk. (laughs) And that's also, it makes it easier for crappy, crappy managers and crappy contributors to hide because, you know, there's just, there's so much removal from um, separating it. So that, okay. So that's, we've covered two of the three, Uh, all technical problems are business problems. All business problems are people problems. Number three. And let me guess, question three or four, <clears throat> like we're getting real close to heat death of the universe here. This, I is, mean, <laughs> this is degrading quickly. <laughs> number four would be heat death of the universe, but there is no number four. Um, but it is a, I think it's a pretty easy leap from there. All right. So number three, uh, all people problems result from misaligned authority and responsibility. Now. That's there's a lot loaded in there. So I'm going to expand on that a little bit before you misaligned authority and see, I had a different knee jerk and I'm trying to figure out in my head whether or not the two words I would have used. Well, that's are reasonable substitutes for your authority and responsibility or whether whether we're actually talking about different things. Why don't you go ahead and unpack it a little bit in your mind? Because because this entire thing hinges on the definitions of authority and responsibility. so we spoke, I think it was last week or the week before about how, uh, you know, if you, if a, a, a broken work structure, uh, and, and I mean, we've both dealt with this where I'm responsible to do a thing, but I have no actual authority. I have to go to my boss to get permission to do everything. And so mm-hmm. am I actually, um, am I doing the job or not? Because, you know, I may be executing things, but I'm not actually making any decisions. I'm just doing what I am told. And so, you know, you don't really own the results there. The boss or the boss's boss or whomever actually makes the call is the one who owns the result. Now, sometimes people like that because it's it's a way for them. It's a way for them to hide. They don't have to own the results of anything they do. And it's a way for them to avoid blowback. There's some natural survival instinct there, and you certainly don't want to go off half cocked. So that's not necessarily wrong, but you can take it to an extreme degree. In any event, authority, uh, responsibility, you know, it's my job to do the thing. Authority, I am empowered to make decisions about how that thing gets done. And if I have both of those things, now I am. I own the consequences of my actions. They, you know, 
the crap doesn't roll any further downhill than me because it was my job to do. And I had the, I had the, I was empowered to do it the way that I saw fit, the best way I saw fit. Okay. Well, I gave it to you. You did the thing. You did a good job. Excellent. That looks great on you. You made mistakes. That reflects on you. It doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing either. Like you, it, you don't have to do disasters here. Everybody makes mistakes. The key is learning from them. Um, you know, my biggest, uh, you know, when I'm talking to individuals, making a mistake, I mean, it would have to be pretty bad for it to be a, a termination offense. Like the, the, the mistake would have to be pretty egregious uh, in order to, to warrant that. Most times it's, okay, you made a mistake. Let's figure it out. What did you do? Why? How? Okay, here's where you messed up. Don't do that again. And then they yeah. learn. I mean, the like lesson. who hasn't? Who yeah. hasn't and and up? You, you talk who about like severity up, of severity of offense matters, right? Like who hasn't left a, a couple of bags of coke on their boss's desk, right? But if you misfile True. an expense report for your cell phone bill, like we're talking, that's pretty serious territory. <laughs> <laughs> and so, right? I mean, and, and here we 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 get into the you know stretching authority of companies that are too large, you know, <laughs> keeping things in, in, in reasonable, uh, scope. Um, but in any event, so, uh, people problems go back to my original thought here. People problems result from misaligned authority and responsibility. If the authority and the responsibility are not in the right place, that's when things get squirrely. So for example, Let's say you have, because I, I think we have all dealt with this. I super, yeah, I think I, yeah, what? I think I want to, I, I do want to, I do. You want to disagree? I do want to talk about this. Well, I don't want to disagree. I mean, you can, I would love that. I would actually, There's a, I, I welcome I it. think like, okay, so, so tech problems or business problems, business problems or people problems. The structure would suggest people problems are blank. I had a knee jerk response. You went a different way. I think think my approach is kind of orthogonal to yours. We may fight about it. I don't know. Okay. I don't want right. to be too brass. Let me finish. Allow right. me the opportunity to let you finish your thing before right, I so interrupt. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you two, I'll give you two simple examples. Okay. And so one of them is the thing is, is, is the, is how I actually got here. Uh, and it was this, um, you know, this came out of this blog post content that a white paper, whatever it is, Maybe a book. <laughs> I mean, at the direct, the, the, the well, I was going to say here. your your site is like a very light gray on black backgrounds. It's not a white paper. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the um. So the original impetus behind this discussion, um, we deal a lot with um silos in our world. So you have an a real simple. You have you have an app. Yeah, I got one right out my window. Yeah. Okay. Lancaster County. We've got silos all over. We've got the place. silos everywhere. <laughs> the um you, you're doing a web app three common silos there you're gonna have the software engineering team you're gonna have your your it operations team and you're gonna have security and they're all they're all individual they're gonna have a leader on top they're gonna have a bunch of people in, in the middle and the web app is going to require coordination between all three of them okay this uh can if 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 the responsibility and authority aren't aligned what you'll end up having is an individual who's in one team needing to do a thing in coordination with someone else. And so the request has to do this giant circuitous route. Okay. Through this person to that person's boss, maybe to that person's boss. Okay. That boss, 
talks to the requesting person's boss, who then funnels down the approval, yes or no, to the original requester, who can then go yeah. ahead and actually work with the person. It's a the, lot. It's the Rube Goldbergian version of of an efficient, yeah, system. Right. Okay. So, a lot of a lot of companies and and organizations and departments are arranged this way, and they and they have to work this way. And for certain decisions, you do want high level authority, but there's a break off point where you know I I don't need it. We just need to get the thing done. You know, if if Alice needs help from Bob, Alice should just go to Bob and get the help. There's not necessarily there's not an overt necessary need to involve Bob's boss and Alice's boss and even Alice and Bob's boss's boss. You know, they just need to get the work done. Um, So underneath a given threshold, Alice should just work with Bob. But that doesn't always that doesn't always work out. And when the the best aligned uh, teams and best aligned outcomes, they they have an orientation that's not vertical. They have an orientation that's horizontal, where there is an there's an entity that Alice and Bob both mutually belong to. You know, some product execution team or something like that, and they are responsible for delivering a thing. And Alice's boss knows this, and Bob's boss knows this, and yeah, Alice and Bob I, talk, can just go. We ahead talked and, about this. We talked about all this. Uh, I don't know, some weeks ago. Can we, we did. Can we do the fight belt? I think, I think it's time to You're fight. You're going to do the fight belt? Okay. I think it's time to fight. Okay. So uh, I think, I think you are absolutely correct in my mind. In my opinion, you're absolutely correct to point out that that misaligned responsibility and authority. Was that the verbiage? Misaligned authority and responsibility, yeah. Okay. That is absolutely a failure mode of team dynamics. 100%, mm. no disagreement. Okay. okay. But I put that in the same bucket as misaligned incentives or doing math wrong if you're an accountant like that is an operational thing that separates doing a job well from doing it poorly mm-hmm. the and and it doesn't matter what else happens anywhere else if you have misaligned authority and responsibility there's going to be bad outcomes just like doing math wrong on a on a cost project projection for a new project right okay you're just going to have a bad time that's not the root that's that's a failure mode. My knee jerk, and I'm I'm actually I am kind of doubling down now in my brain, would be that the people problems are um, communication, or you could also say expectation problems, because if you're if 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 you're a manager, if you're doing a great job, you're probably delegating outcomes and not tasks. Okay. And so in your in your example of the the IT ops, the security and the web dev teams, mm-hmm. when a request has to go all the way around the Rube Goldbergian map of, uh, you know, Middle Earth to get to actually get some simple thing done. What we would both agree on as an optimal thing is that head of security tells his people we want to be secure. Head of ops tells his people we want things stable and head of web dev says tells his people we need these features. And then those folks work together to figure out the details and make everything happen. All three bosses are happy and we have efficient communication because they're allowed lateral communication to get their jobs done, to carry out the responsibility that's been delegated to them. So kind of to your point of authority and responsibility, when you delegate an outcome, you are delegating both authority and responsibility as an atomic unit, because I agree 100% Anything else is like doing math wrong in a spreadsheet. You're just mm-hmm. you're going to get the wrong answer at some point. Somebody's going to lose money. But I think so. So 
thinking of authority and responsibility as as just a thing you can do wrong the failure the the root failure mode there is mm-hmm. a failure of communication of setting correct expectations so right as the as the security or IT ops or web dev manager i want to tell my people this is what i care about these are the results that we're held to and that's what's most important please get at me if you have any questions or concerns mm-hmm. Rather than saying, oh, can you go and flip this bit on some system that I could do myself, right? Like that's. Yeah, that's that's, not that's you keep saying communication issue. I disagree. I don't think it's a communication issue. Those are two. No, I do. They're saying two different things, but they're two fundamentally different postures and and approaches. But but what I'm getting at is some is some underlying. I'm trying to get at some underlying truth here. Let's take this out of the business setting. All right. Technical could be. You could be on a, a building a new house on a construction site, whatever, sure. whatever the do. issue is. Yeah. Okay. So tactical problems are uh, business problems. Again, business lowercase b, like whatever that needs to mean in the analogy. Business pe- problems are people problems. People problems are communication problems. Okay. That's like at the end of it, I think the communication, that's where you mess things up. People and problems again, are communication You could communicate perfectly. Because if I have my own internal desires and motivations and fears and concerns and experiences and wisdom and advice and all of that, all of that up in my head, if I don't communicate those effectively to you as my employee, you're never going to do what I wanted you to do the way I wanted you to do it. Like that's never going to be possible for you to succeed in my mind. Right. Now the one, I, okay, I get, I get it. And then, so then that's why I say then like, misaligned authority and responsibility is is the same as you have an employee that f's up a formula on a spreadsheet it's just it's just doing your work poorly like that's Mm -hmm. it's in other words that that's no different than any other possible garden variety failure mode in a team setting i think the communication though is the root problem got it that that's my that's that's kind of my (laughs) yeah all right so i i see yeah, I mean, you can certainly you can certainly chalk a lot of people problems up to to comms issues. You know, not saying what you actually intended or saying what you actually thinking that you you sent the 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 proper intent. Because even that's a rule gulper, right? I have to get what's I have to get what's in my head to my mouth. Uh-huh. It has to get from my mouth to your ears. Then it has to get from your ears to your brain. And then back again before and ideally, we that an actual thought. Right. And as as we all learned as children, just playing, you know, the telephone game that it's very that easy for that for that yeah. mission. Right. You're you're not getting there's a lot of lossiness in that signal between mm-hmm. two human beings. That's that for sure. So communication. Oh. Can we oh, do a what? sidebar real quick? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. I, I have a I have I have a pick. Um and my pick is, oh, shoot, where did it go? My pick, oh, that's a fail. That, that is, is a, a huge fail. fail. That is a fail. Uh, okay, so uh, Scriblio, S-K-R-I-B-B-L dot I-O. Um, it's, it's, it's Pictionary, but it's, it's uh, a web, it's a web app, like HTML5 Pictionary game. That you can play, so you create a room, and then you can send people a link, and you and WebRTC, you can play Pictionary, and they have different game modes. Um, 
Or no, okay. that's not the one. It's the, oh, shoot. It's there the are, a, I'm looking online. There are a bunch of different Scriblio URLs. I don't want to give credit to the to the wrong one here. No, no. And I'm, I had a bookmark for this. Well, uh, I mean. All right, you, I'm going to put it in the show notes, but there's, it's not Scriblio. That's, that's a different one. There's another game we just played on my team recently. There was a recommendation from one of my guys. Um, and it is, you can play like telephone and variations of telephone. Uh, just with oh. a web browser, with your team remotely through WebRTC. Nice. Super hella fun. We do this on our virtual happy hours. Uh, actually, most of the time, we wind up playing either Scribbly or this other game. And again, th- that other game, I'll link it in the show notes, but that's my pick for the week. Um, and you can do where, like, you write a thing, and then N minus one people draw subsequent pictures of what they think it is, and then the last person writes what they think the last picture is. You can do ones where it goes back and forth between pictures and words. Like there's all sorts of, Mm -hmm. it's super, if you do like a virtual (laughs) happy hour, if you do a game hour or anything like that, highly, highly, highly recommended. I will, I will link in the show notes. That looks like fun. Nice. um, The actual game. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so as soon as we figure out what it's called, whatever it's called, this, this (laughs) game, super augmented, silent and deadly. I just might end up enjoying this. That one. That's what we're going to go with. (laughs) All right. Um, we'll add it in post. We, yeah. So uh, anyway, th- so so the communication thing, like that is the game of telephone. That's a lossy process. And I think you can get tactical things seemingly right, but if your communication is bad, nothing's going to end well. Mm-hmm. Likewise, even if everybody's doing the right things, if your communication is bad, nothing's going to end well. Like you, that you can't, that's, you can't end around mm-hmm. bad communication, I think. I no, think you, that is... Like that's out of out of all of the out of all of the filters in an organization, the filters through through which success has to go, communication I think is the biggest one in my okay, mind. Okay, so I agree. The problem that I have with your analogy is that it does not speak to intent. So I'll give you an example. We have all mm-hmm. dealt with uh, the situation where uh, a boss, some high level executive or something, they have a sacred cow of some kind. They want a thing mm-hmm. done a certain way because right. that's the way they want it. Doesn't matter why. It's just that's the way they want it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this decision trickles down to other teams who see, actually, I know you want to do it this way, but there are some real concrete reasons. And here they are for why this is actually not the best way to do this thing. And in fact, in some cases, it may actually be hurting you know, like this is actually detrimental to us in, in some fashion. Okay. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty, pretty generic situation. And I think a I'm pretty you. common one. Okay. I'm with you. That's not a comms issue because the authority, you know, the, the executive or whomever has been very clear and expressed in what they desire to happen. I want this thing to happen. And the team has in fact received that message and they're doing that thing. And they're saying, yeah, this thing isn't right. And this, to me, feels more like a responsibility authority alignment issue where they've communicated actually fairly well what they want to happen. But what's not happening is, you know, the in this case, when I go back to my analogy here, in this case, the, the end team has responsibility for carrying the action out, but they don't have the authority and they're seeing a problem with it. But because they don't have the authority, they can't actually fix it. And respectfully disagree. And I think you actually proved my point in a weird way. All right. Communication is bi-directional. 
True. Right. So if those people on the ground, they have a responsibility, if they think there's a better mousetrap, they have a responsibility to report it to their manager, who's got a responsibility to report it to their manager and so on and so forth. And if there's a communication issue between pointy haired boss that says, this is the sacred cow, how I want it done, and his direct report next in line in that chain of communication, there needs to be healthy communication where that, uh, where that subordinate can go to his boss and say, I know you're very passionate, you want this done a specific way, but my team and I have come up with some thoughts on how we might improve X, Y, Z. And, and the, the communication challenge is for you as, a, as an employee to know how to present what does your boss care about? Does your boss care about the efficiency? Does your boss care about the finances? Does your boss care about the risk? Like whatever it is, whatever coins that you and, and she deal with, you have to, you've got to know how to communicate with your boss and you've got to be able to communicate the things that matter when they've told you to do something, you're like, well, but. So I think, I think that actually is a communication problem. But the joke of it is communication is not just a top-down responsibility. It's also very, very, very much bottom-up. It, it is. But going back to what we said before about organizations as they get bigger, if you have, as you have more layers in the middle of that between the person who's actually seeing the problem and the person who has implemented the decision, like your game of telephone, that message is going to get quieter and it's going to lose something on its way up the chain. And... So wouldn't right, but, it then but failing, but, but, but again, okay. So, but let's, let's use the other example though, where an accountant just messed up a formula in a spreadsheet. Okay. Their job is to create a workbook where when I put the right data in, I get correct signals back out of it. That's okay. your job. Right. So if you, if you mess up a formula in your workbook, you're going to get the wrong answers. That's mm -hmm. going to cause a business problem, right? That's just you doing your job poorly. Okay. Do, would we, would we, I'm asking actually, would we agree on that? I think so. Okay. Yes. Uh, I'm not trying to lead you anywhere. I'm I just know. trying to make sure that we're on the same. Okay. Point. So, right. so then if I'm a manager and I'm delegating tasks instead of outcomes, Mm -hmm. My because that's what you're talking about, right? Test versus outcomes. That's yeah. uh, 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 that's that's the same as misaligned authority. Yeah, and responsibility. I, I thought I actually wrote that down. I thought that you're delegating. Oh, okay. Outcomes not. I thought that was actually really really good. Yeah. I really like that. That's a good descriptor. So, so me as a manager delegating tasks instead of outcomes. That's just me doing my job poorly. Okay. Because my job as a manager is to delegate outcomes effectively. That is my. That is my job. Right. So, so now the impact is obviously much greater because in your case, you're talking about somebody who's fairly high level in a fairly large organization who's making these edicts. So like, let's, let's normalize the compounding effect of altitude in our org chart if, mm -hmm. if we can and say that the accountant messing up a formula in a spreadsheet is just doing, is just making a mistake in your job performance the same as a manager delegating tasks instead of outcomes is making a mistake in their job performance. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that's where I say, okay, so, so to me, those are just failure modes of doing your job. Okay. So you're seeing communication is the over overriding channel through which anything gets done in an org. Right. Okay. Like I failed, like I fail to see uh, my wife and I, we've been married over nine years, never had a fight, right? 
Um, yeah. Okay. Whenever, whenever we wind up disagreeing about something, it's because one of us didn't correctly, appropriately, properly, fully communicate something at the outset. Whenever I get into a discussion with my boss where something got messed up or he doesn't like something, it's always because the initial communication was skewed. Whenever I have an employee that underperforms and I got to go, it was always a matter of like, there is no exception to where something, unless it's just a basic job function failure mode, like I talked about before, mm -hmm. there's, there's no case where I can at least see how that would have been prevented by better communication. So that's why I say like, you can fail at your job performance. And I say fail, like lowercase f people. Yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah, not, yeah. Make a mistake. Like I'm not being harsh on it. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah, saying yeah. make a mistake, right? Sure. Uh, but talking as an engineer, like like there are infinite number of job performance failure modes. Not one of them can't be prevented with better communication. And that's where I go to think that communication is actually like if you want to talk about technical problems being business problems, business problems being people problems, you're talking about, OK, if I have a if I have a problem at one layer, what's the longest lever I can use to fix that the fastest. Like yep. if I have a technical problem, right. it's actually a business thing. So you should solve it at that level and then it makes the tech thing easy, right? And on and up and up the chain, I think the top of the, well, the top of the chain is heat death the universe, but the second level down <laughs> As uh, we discussed. Is, is to me would be, and I'll, I'll end my fight segment, but would be communication in my mind. Got it. No, this is, this is good. What this tells me is I need to... Sh I need to cut my my thought process even deeper and uh also that I'm probably never gonna get this damn blog post out. It's just <laughs> it's just not gonna happen. Because fork it again. It's forking again? Oh my gosh, so much forking. Oh, but this is really good. Um well, I hope everyone enjoyed uh, the Philosophy Hour edition of... Uh, Philosoraptor. Yeah, the Philosoraptor edition of the Refactor Oh, you podcast. know what just struck me? I was thinking about putting actually a Philosoraptor picture on our show notes. I realized we were supposed to put a picture up in one of our show notes a few weeks ago. We never did it. I don't oh, even remember what it was for anymore. I... Dang. I don't know. Well, I don't know what it lost was. Lost opportunity. Yeah. Blame I mean, me, we can always We can always add it later if if, you know either one of us remembers or somebody calls us out on it. Yeah. Um, so if you want to call us out on it, feel free to hit us up. Feedback at refactor.work. You can check out those show notes and that absent missing photo at our website, refactored.work. If you want to hear more from Chris, you can check him out at chris.tonkinson.com. If you want to check my stuff out and this blog post that'll probably never get written. No, I'm just kidding. I'm really, I'm going to have to slice it really, really tight. Um, it just goes to show you, you know, hedgehog niche, go, go tiny. I just need to bite off a bit off more than I can chew. I need to get a smaller bit here. Um, so you can hear my ramblings at hot coals, K O E H L S dot com. And this has been episode 47, 47, 47. We're coming up on it, coming up on the big five. Coming here. up. Awesome. Coming up. Episode 47 of the refactor podcast on November 16th, 2021. Thanks a lot, Chris. Have a good one. Thanks, Frank. Cheers, man. <laughs>